Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello and welcome again to A Million Other Choices. I am still your host, Kim. Last episode was a mini. I don't like you having one little 10 minute or 15 minute episode for a whole week. So here is a second mini episode for you. This is the case of Septic Sand. for cases, but this is one of those cases where the circumstances and identity were not known for a very long time, but we have a bit of a solution now. So much like the Somberton Man case from Australia, which uh, if you didn't know that one was solved, well, if you were subscribed to my exclusive episodes, you would have all the details on that. I'm just saying. This one really isn't solved, but we are so much closer to an answer now that we have an identity. We start back in 1977 when Charlie McLeod, which may or may not be his real name, the family has wanted to remain very private, probably to keep looky-loos and paranormal investigators off their property. Anyways, Charlie and his wife Mavis had a plot of farmland out in Lindbrook, Alberta, which is a town, and actually I don't even know if it's a town, it's really just more of a CN rail route, Uh, but it's just outside of Tollfield, Alberta, which is about 68 kilometers east of Edmonton, a mostly farming community named after Dr. J.H. Tollfield, who came from England in 1893. There are only about 2,000 people living in the community, so an everyone-knows-everyone kind of area. So if you do know the area, you probably know whether Charlie and Mavis McLeod are their real names or not. But this plot of land was abandoned and they weren't using it. In fact, they hadn't been using it for years. There was a house on the land that was pretty much falling apart. Sounds like they were just kind of hanging on to it more as an investment in on the land itself. And they came to the farm on April 13th, 1977, because they thought that they could get some parts that they needed from the septic tank out there that they could use in the septic tank they have on their land that is being used. But when they looked into the sewer tank, they saw a brown shoe, which is not that unusual. Things get into sewer tanks sometimes. But when Charlie reached in to pull the shoe out, a rotting human leg came with it. So that was the end of their part scavenging hunt. And they drove over to the RCMP detachment and told Sergeant Ed Lamerts about it. Him and another officer came out to check things out. 
and sure enough, a body wrapped in a yellow bedsheet tied up with nylon rope was pulled out of the sewer tank. It had been dumped headfirst. Ed and his partner spent the next hour emptying the almost two-meter-deep septic tank with ice cream pails. Charlie and his wife never talked about their discovery to their kids. They found the whole thing rather distressing. Their daughter told the Fifth Estate years later, they found that body so their memories of finding it were not good, so they never talked about it. Both Mavis and Charlie are now deceased. Once the body was out and a medical examiner could take a look, the mystery deepened. The body was pretty badly decomposed and they suspected had been in the tank for somewhere between 4 and 12 months. It was a bit hard to tell because whoever had dumped him there had covered his body with quicklime in an effort to speed up the decomposition. But because of the other factors of where the body was dumped, it actually had the opposite effect. So the body was so badly decomposed that it took the medical examiner a while to determine the gender even. And actually, we're going to come back to this part. At this first autopsy, it was thought that the man was somewhere between 26 and 32 years old and Caucasian, possibly indigenous, about five foot six, medium build, brown hair, and around 154 pounds. He was wearing a blue Levi's denim shirt with a gray t-shirt underneath, blue jeans, and the brown shoes, which were described as imitation wallaby shoes. Upon examination, marks on his teeth and bones suggested that he had suffered from some sort of prolonged illness as a child around the age of five. No guesses were given on what that might have been. The cause of death was two gunshot wounds from a 32 caliber semi or automatic, one to the head and one to the chest, but they thought that there could have been more wounds, but they just didn't reach to the bone. Um, but there was a lot more. Before he had died, the man had been tortured. In fact, police working the case originally said that the man's death had been one of the most vicious, vindictive, and sadistic crimes they had ever seen. There was evidence that the man had been badly beaten, tied up, burned multiple times with a small butane torch and lit cigarettes, and sexually mutilated with what was probably farming shears. The sexual mutilation contributed to the medical examiner not being able to determine the man's gender initially. Some of the burns from the torch were on the soles of his feet. Ed Lambert surmised they had to be cruel and vindictive to impose that much pain on someone who was most likely alive is extremely bizarre. It's amazing what some people will do to other people. The man still had all of his teeth and had recently gotten some fairly extensive dental work, giving the investigators hope that they could identify him from the records. He was also determined to be right-handed. The people of the town of Tollfield freaked out a bit over the discovery of a murdered and tortured man in their farm fields. They started checking out their own septic tanks for bodies. There was a lot of speculation that the man that they were now calling Sam or Septic Tank Sam could have been a local and might have been tortured and killed for some kind of sick sex crimes or for being unfaithful to someone in town. Investigators sent x-rays of Sam's teeth to 800 dentists in the area and published them in dental magazines hoping for someone to identify him, but they were never able to. They started to suspect that he might not actually be from Alberta but might be a migrant farm worker. He had obviously been murdered and tortured somewhere else and was there was no evidence found around the tank or in the abandoned house. He was likely brought there post-mortem and dumped. Ed started to give up hope that he would ever be identified or the case solved. He said, quote, he was dumped and they had burned him up. You couldn't tell if the victim was a male or female. Who had that type of capacity to assault someone like that? It's a little tough for me. 
So with very little to go on, Septic Tank Sam was laid to rest in an unmarked grave in Edmonton as Sam Doe. Then in 1979, he was exhumed and flown to Oklahoma for a forensic anthropologist, Betty Pat Gaddiff, to do some medical illustration and 3D rendering to try and identify him. She did a facial composite and believed that he was Indigenous and about 35 years old, so just a little bit older than they originally thought. This didn't really help narrow things down much as far as identifying him. The 3D picture of what they think Sam looked like in life was spread around to the media, but no one claiming to recognize him had been correct yet. I will be right back after these brief messages. As far as who could have killed Sam, they think he was probably from Beaver County, which is near Tollfield area because he had had to have been familiar enough with the area to know that the farm was abandoned and that the septic tank was there. He probably knew the victim because Sam's murder was definitely personal based on how vicious it was. This was a revenge killing because usually when you rob someone, you don't sexually mutilate them. That shit is definitely personal. He also obviously had access to a 32 caliber semi or automatic weapon. Again, not a lot to go on. Over the next 40 years, the identity of Septic Tank Sam and the theories on who could have killed him were the topic of a lot of cafe discussion. And every 10 years or so, a media outlet would do a report on him. His death was particularly violent and disturbing, so it was an interesting case to turn up details on every few years. The RCMP interviewed some people and tracked down any leads that they could, but it was never enough to identify him. In 2012, a partial DNA profile was done on Sam, but at the time there wasn't really any database to really do any comparisons on, but fortunately they held on to this particular profile. Then in 2018, something happened down in California that renewed hope, not just for Septic Take Sam, but for the countless numbers of unidentified remains and uncaptured serial killers roaming the streets of the world. The Golden State Killer was identified as Joseph James D'Angelo by Forensic Genealogy. A new technique in DNA identification using genealogy databases to create family trees. In 2019, the Alberta RCMP Missing Persons Unit sent the partial DNA profile that they had from 2012 to the National DNA Program, which officially then had a database in 2019, but they didn't have any success on getting a match. So, in 2020, inspired by the Golden State Killer's identification, they teamed up with Othram Inc., a company that was spearheading DNA forensics out in Woodlands, Texas. Othram first came on the spotlight when they successfully identified nine-year-old Christine Jessup's killer from her murder, which happened in 1984. David Middleton said that the sample was very degraded and there was a lot of bacteria in it, and only a small bit of it was actually human DNA, but enough to work with, and they applied forensic-grade genome sequencing and developed a comprehensive genealogical profile. And so comparing this profile with the database was at least able to identify a familial tree with a number of possible relatives of Sam's. Detectives reached out to those possible relatives and obtained their DNA, which was sent in August 2020 for testing. In October, they learned that the DNA was a match to Sam's. So although Sam was identified in October 2020, it actually wasn't until June of 2021 that his identity was revealed publicly. Uh, This was still considered an active investigation after all, and they were hoping identifying him would quickly lead to his killer or killers. 
but it didn't, so they released the information hoping somebody could provide more information. Mavis and George's daughter had a feeling something was up when the RCMP called and asked for an interview from her, from what she remembered of the farm and anything that her parents had said about Sam. Ed Lamberts was a bit of cynical about the whole thing, even with the identification, saying, how are you going to punish the guy now anyways? You're going to send an 82-year-old guy to jail now? What do you do with an 82-year-old man that killed somebody 50 years ago? Yeah, you send them to jail. And it doesn't matter so much about seeing justice in this world. After all this time, his family deserves to know what happened and who did it. Anyways, Septic Tank Sam was identified as Gordon Edmund Sanderson. He had been last seen in 1977 going out to visit his brother Arthur in Calgary from Edmonton where he was living when he never showed. He was reported missing by his sister Joyce and it was Joyce's DNA that had they had used to match to Gordon and identify him. Now Gordy, as he was known to his friends and family, also had a young daughter at the time that he went missing. Besides being murdered and tortured at 26 years old, his life had actually been marred by other tragedies. Gordy was Indigenous and born in Manitoba on October 22, 1950. When he was nine, he was put into foster care during the 60s scoop. And for those of you not familiar with the 60s scoop, it was a widespread practice in Canada between 1960 and 1980 to take children from Indigenous communities and put them into the child welfare system and adopt them to white families. It was done to try to erase the Indigenous heritage from them and basically a government-funded genocide. I mean, these kids were literally seized from their families like property. Indigenous children in 1951 made up only 1% of children in provincial care. And by 1964, they made up 34%. As a result of this early childhood trauma, he grew up struggling with addiction and had some run-ins with the law. Joyce kind of lost track of both her brothers and never heard any word on her brother's missing person case until Septic Sam was identified as Gordy. Sergeant Zazaluk of the RCMP told reporters in 2021, we believe that Gordy Sanderson was killed by associates of his who were involved in various criminal acts in the Edmonton area. Between the passage of time and just some of the lifestyles that people were involved in at the time as well, it's very possible that they have passed away. Um, he was asked about how Gordy's family was feeling about the revelation. And he said, I think it was a combination of a sense of mourning, but also relief. Definitely some feelings of anger towards what Gordy went through in his life and what was done to him. Alberta RCMP detectives are still looking for anyone who may have known or spoken, spoken to Gordon Sanderson before his death or who may have information regarding his murder. And anyone with information should contact the Tollfield RCMP detachment at 780-662-3353 or the local police. You can also reach the Alberta RCMP Historical Homicide Unit via email at rcmp khhu khhugrc at rcmp-grc.gc.ca. And that was the case of Gordy Sanderson, a.k.a. Septic Take Sam. And I'm going to be back again next week with a single regular length episode. In the meantime, do your rate review thing and sign up for the exclusive feed to get your episodes without the pesky ads. As always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>